Major League Baseball is finally back as the new season gets underway. The Ringer Podcast Network has baseball fans covered with the Ringer MLB show, playing exclusively on the TuneIn app for the month of April. On top of that, the Ringer Podcast Network has partnered with TuneIn to give baseball fans a free 30-day trial of TuneIn Premium to listen to every live home call of every MLB game around the league. Catch the Ringer MLB show only on TuneIn during April. And with your premium subscription, listen to the live MLB games on TuneIn. Just go to TuneIn.com slash Ringer and subscribe. Download the TuneIn app and start listening today. TuneIn, your everything audio app. Show. I'm Chris Vernon. Joining me today on the show is Zach Harper. You can find him on Twitter at TalkCoops. You can read what he writes at FanRag Sports. Zach, what's up, brother? I am just enjoying the end of this season because I feel like, despite this just being a two-team league like I've heard, that this has been a really fun season. You got very, I don't want, I don't want to say lucky, fortunate maybe last night. You had a lot of stake in that uh, in that Spurs Warriors game because you wrote an article. You wrote an article: the possible pitfalls facing the Spurs when the games really matter. And then the game starts like fifteen to nothing and twenty three to three. What are you thinking as that takes place? As someone who has uh, printed an article, the possible pitfalls facing the Spurs when the games really matter. I think it got to 25-3 to at one point, and I thought, I wonder if I'll just start, you know, watching some old Broad City or something at this point. Maybe I don't need to be on Twitter right now. And then the Warriors started chipping away and, and getting back into the flow. And then the article turned out to be, like, kind of correct because Tony Parker was, was bad and Manny Ginobili didn't have a good game, and, and Patty Mills actually didn't do all that much. And my the Kind of the crux of my argument was uh, the Spurs backcourt worries me because there is a certain lineup they're going to have to play a lot this season and or in the postseason, and that lineup has been bad. Like, not just, like, bad for the Spurs, but just bad in general. So as that started kind of coming into form, I thought, all right, maybe I didn't completely, you know, jinx the rest of the Western Conference and Pop's just going to roll, roll through it. Because these guys are the ball handlers, and they kind of get everything going. And when it got, when it, when it, you know, especially when they whip the ball around so much the Spurs, like that first action – is the one that starts everything in motion, and it just doesn't happen as fast anymore because inevitably Parker and Ginobili are older. Yeah, I mean, you know, Ginobili's going to be forty in July, you know, and he's still he's still pretty good. Like he's a thirty-eight percent three-point shooter. He's still good. It's just he doesn't have he doesn't have that first step or that explosiveness that made him such a dangerous player that you know kind of got everything off balance for the defense, and then he would he would just pick you apart. And then Tony Parker, I mean, he just like he just hasn't looked good in really three years to me. And, and part of that is injuries, and part of that is just wear and tear and whatever. Um, but if you take those two away, you're relying so much on Patty Mills, who's been spectacular this season. Uh, but the lineup, the, the lineup I, refer, I reference in the article is like Patty Mills, Manu Ginobili, Kawhi, Pau Gasol, and LaMarcus Aldridge. And that's a good offensive lineup. They're scoring like uh, almost 109 points per 100 possessions. That's fantastic but they're giving up like almost 119. They can't stop anybody. They don't stop anybody on the perimeter. They don't stop anybody inside the perimeter. And as good as Kawhi is, he can't make up for those four defenders. And so that it, I feel like they're going to have to play that lineup because that's a good offensive lineup for them. 
But if they do, and that, and you don't get any kind of resistance on the perimeter outside of Kawhi, I just think they're in trouble. Well, because I think I think maybe one of the thoughts was, and especially after bringing in Gasol, it was clearly get bigger, right? We'll just try to get every rebound. Like one of the right. ways that team, one of the ways that teams have been uh, that have given the Warriors problems to the extent that they've had any problems is when they shoot the ball, they get it back, and when you shoot the ball, they get it right. <laughs> like, like just being right. being big, forcing them. You know, Draymond can only guard one guy, and so forcing them to have some kind of formidable front line, which, you know, I mean, then you're forcing them to play Zaza a lot or Javal a lot or whoever. Um, and so, you know, the idea was be able to go big, but it feels like, again, maybe this year, they're just, Pop's going to be looking to that bench going, all right, how do I match up with this? And I, I, I don't know if they're good. At, it's like they are clearly best when they've got Aldridge and Powell and their best players out there. But that's probably not best versus the Warriors in terms of trying to match up with them if we're looking at the two best teams possibly matching up to, to see who could go to the finals this year. Right, and, and you look at it like I get the idea of going big against the Warriors. I think it can work, but you have to be able to slow down the tempo. You have to be able to grind out those possessions. You have to be able to you know, really beat them up, and that's just not Powell and LaMarcus at this point in their career. I don't know if it was them at any point in their careers, but especially not now. So when they throw, like, Dwayne Dedman out there, great. He's a fantastic defensive player, right? Great rim protector, can defend the perimeter, fantastic rebounder. Like, that works, but then you lose something offensively because, you know, if you cover the lobs, like, he really – I know he hit a jumper last night, but, he, you know, he really isn't a threat in that sense, and you have to be able to kind of balance those two sides of the ball against the Warriors while making it, you know, that classic Memphis Grizzlies grit and grind or, or what the Jazz are trying to do with, with their big – lineups like those are the things you have to do and I just don't think the Spurs necessarily have that personnel and you remember last year in the playoffs pop uh, you know he, he's trying to he, he plays Duncan then he doesn't play Duncan then he tries Boban and he does you know what I mean and then he and then Boban doesn't play at all like he tried a bunch of different stuff last year in their playoffs and then it finally just seemed like he looked down the bench and like okay I don't I don't have it wasn't a adjustment to make he just didn't have the goods he didn't have the personnel to be able to match up yeah, and, and there's a certain point where, aside from Kawhi Leonard, you know, you have to look at that that line, you know, the the options around him, and go, well, who is the advantage for them? Because I think if you, I think if you get into a game like it worked in what game one against the Thunder last year, but if you get into a game where it's like, hey, we're just going to ride, uh, we're going to ride Lamarcus Aldridge on offense, and he's going to pick you apart for 40, 50 points. Well, as long as you cover everyone else, I really don't think it's a bad strategy for the defense, right? Like, I, if LaMarcus Aldridge beats you, then so be it. And it's not that he's a bad player. It's just that's not when the Spurs are, are at their most Spurs. That's not when they're moving the ball around and hitting threes and getting cutters and everything. That's just him taking mid-range jumpers, and most of the league will live with that. All right, how significant is last night? Are we making too big of a deal out of, uh, out, out of one game between those two teams? Yeah, probably. I mean, I think the – I think the the thing to take away from it is look how good Steph Curry looks right now, right? Like he he and Clay, and then you know Draymond's just been ridiculous for the majority of the season. But but Curry looks looks just great. Not even just shooting the ball, but just the way he's attacking the decisions he makes. He seems to be in a very comfortable zone. I think the the one thing you you take away from the Warriors in terms of skepticism is how do they work KD back into it once he's healthy, and do, and how much does that take away from Steph? And what he and what he's been doing, you know, the last couple of weeks, because that will be, you know, finding that balance is something they didn't do 
uh, really for most of the season, and it's fine. They're talented enough to where you just roll through the regular season. You, you know, you win 60 plus games, and it doesn't really matter. But once you get into the playoffs and things slow down a little bit, and you're not able to, you know, really surprise—not surprise teams, but just overwhelm overwhelm teams on random nights in the in the regular season—and you can kind of get game plan for a little bit more. Where is that balance? And, and they probably won't have time to figure that out, even if they, you know, even if they're able to get through the first round unscathed. Um, I just wonder, will we see this Curry in the postseason? No, that's a good point because it's not it, – the idea that it would be seamless um, might be a little far-fetched. They don't have, uh, you know, a million games logged together. Like, if you know what I mean? If Ginobili goes down and then he comes back in, it's just seamless. Like they, 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 they've played hundreds of games together as a unit, but that's not so. And, and the Warriors, you know, at the very beginning, you know, it took a little while for them to figure out you know how they're all going to play their roles and now it does feel like that you know it took a little while for them to settle in once KD went down and now you're back to the whole all right now we got to go back to the way it was with Kevin and that may take a little time right just to to work the kinks out and figure out how we're going to play again I, I, I don't know if he just seamlessly goes back into that lineup and they're devastating again right and I think the I think the key is actually um is actually on defense because since they went down, Draymond's gone nuts, like trying to one, right the ship defensively and two, you know, be the defensive player of the year finally for the first time in three years. And I, and I, and they've been the best defense in the league since KD went down. Well, they were like second or third before he went down. So it's not like the, it's this big contrast to, to pre-injury and post-injury. Um, but when he comes back in, will he still be able to defend? Like the way they use him, he's going to be able to make jumpers all day. Like I, I'm not worried about him fitting in on, on offense in terms of getting his groove back and getting his game back to where it was. But defensively, he was so important being able to switch everything and being long and being a rim protector and, and ending possessions with defensive rebounds and everything. I wonder if he'll have that explosiveness and that you know kind of continuity with everybody to where he can back up Draymond or Draymond has to back up him or whatever you know the combination is depending on who they're playing. Um, if, they, if they can't get that back defensively, then do we see kind of the problems of last year against the Cavs in those final three games of where it just everything seemed a little a little off and they weren't able to, cut, to quite you know grasp that end of the floor. I, I kind of think that that's the bigger problem than than how he fits offensively. The defensive thing is super surprising. I thought they would I thought they would take a big step back without him in the lineup, right? I mean, in the end, they got Clay Thompson, they got Steph Curry. They're probably going to score, right? Um, right. But I did think that, especially as as good, he had gotten a lot of accolades for being uh, a, an extremely good defender for them this year. So the fact that their team defense has not taken uh, a step back at all is that's shocking to me, very shocking. And I do think it speaks to how good they've been. I thought they were really gonna. I don't want to say struggle, but certainly were not like a prohibitive favorite in the West if they didn't have a hundred percent Kevin Durant on their squad. I thought that might have opened the door for some teams, but when you go on the road and you you know, I mean you beat Houston like they did and you beat San Antonio like they did these last couple nights, maybe just maybe the beginning of the Durant injury was simply just the, the schedule sucked for them, right? They were in the middle of uh this long uh the, the, the long part of their schedule against some pretty good teams and they were trying to figure out how to play without him, but Damn, man, they've looked pretty damn good the last couple of nights when you knock off the two and three seed on the road. Yeah, I mean, and, and it's just like it's kind of back to the same old Warriors, right? Like they're just uh, 
they're just incredible. And and back to the whole Steph thing, like you think about what he's done in the last ten days. He outplayed Russell Westbrook. He outplayed James Harden. He outplayed Kawhi Leonard last night. Right? I mean, those are three of the four top MVP candidates, and he just went out and outplayed all of them. And it kind of, I don't know, like he he would he was criticized a lot this season for you know not being up to the standard he set the last two years. And I think it was fair criticism. But you kind of look at as the playoffs get closer, man, he's gearing up, and he's and he's really just on a on an incredible level once again. And you got to wonder if maybe if maybe this injury kind of got, you know, to KD got him set at the right time. And if they can work KD back and find that balance, if you get this Steph Curry, my God, I mean, I just feel bad for the rest of the Western conference because you're right. Like they looked a little vulnerable for a while. And now that vulnerability just seems like a joke. Well, and you've seen in these big games, right? Uh, you know, who's been super awesome is Iguodala, right? Okay. So yeah. Kevin Durant goes down. Iguod- at the beginning of the season, I think there was a lot of people, fairly, that said, hey, Iguodala looks a year older, right? Like sometimes, you, you know, when you, when, you get to, when you get to age 33 and he's got a million miles on him um, and you got these finals runs that Iguodala doesn't look like the defensive stalwart, do-everything guy. Um, at least he didn't at the beginning of the season. And now you look at these last three and – he killed he he killed the Grizzlies and had twenty points and seven rebounds. Then they play the Houston game. He plays and, and these are all thirty plus minute games for Iguodala. So he's playing more minutes. Um and this guy has been averaging like seven points a game this year, which is startling, I think, to a lot of people. But then when they got in these big games, he drops twenty on Memphis, he drops uh twelve on Houston and is everywhere and gets the six rebounds and six assists. And then last night, he chips in 14-6, and six, all the while shooting like crazy percentage from the field and kind of being an everything small forward. So, I mean, I don't know. Iguodala's clearly still got it. And I, I wonder if his ascent can remain once Kevin Durant comes back. Yeah, I mean, what's the, it's like the super death lineup or whatever, you know, yep. apocalypse lineup or whatever we're calling it. But, like, if, they can, if they're able to get that going and Iguodala can even be 80% of what he's been the last month or so, you know, that's just a scary proposition. And it, it's a lot like – it feels a lot like the Princess Bride where, like, all of a sudden Iguodala was like, you know, oh, by the way, I'm not left-handed. <laughs> like, I, you know, here, this, is me, this is me at my best, and, and I, now I'm going to switch my style and, and be the Iguodala that was so important the last two years. And really, like, he was – he was great last year. He just he had the back injury, I think, and and I think it was a back injury, lower back injury, and and that just kind of took away everything he could he could do in terms of physicality. And then you throw that against like, oh, by the way, now you have to do this against LeBron, and he just kind of looked weak, or not weak, but he just looked susceptible to um, you know to not being his best self. And and now you know at the same time that Steph's building up towards the playoffs, Iguodala's building up. And if you get, I mean, again, if you get seventy five, eighty percent of that. That, I mean, that's just a dangerous role player to have. And by the way, I believe it's the contract year, so this is the right time to keep, to be making this push. You know that death lineup came up all the time last year, and then we brought up the super death lineup and whatever. Curly hasn't gone to it much this year, you know. And do you think that's just a saving it back for the playoffs, or do you think it is a somewhat of a a different a change of philosophy of? Uh, you know, keeping a big guy out there. I do wonder. I do wonder how much of that is like. Let's make sure Zaza is is entrenched in this system and everything. Let's make sure Javale can you know be whatever 
is not JaVale in Nevada, right? Like, I, like, let's try to get these guys up to speed as much as possible, and then we think we can go to that in the playoffs because you also look at it up until recently. I mean, the Warriors just don't run a lot of pick and roll with Steph Curry, mm-hmm. which seems insane. Like, Steph Curry, no offense to James Harden, LeBron James, those guys, like, Steph Curry still may be the best pick and roll player in the league. And, 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 and this is something that they just seem to rarely go to, especially when KD was healthy. Uh, so I do wonder how much is being saved for the playoffs because there is no real win for the Warriors to, you know, to win by 30 instead of by 18. And, right. and so if that if that's the case, um, you know, are they saving this stuff? But then if, if they're saving this stuff, it kind of goes to the whole idea of can you flip a switch once you get into the postseason, which I'm not sure you can. And is that the Warriors' version of flipping a switch of, oh, we'll go to the super death lineup. And what, by the way, we're going to run a bunch of pick and roll with Steph Curry. Uh, you know, these are the things we will blitz – you know, the Western Conference and the Cavs with um, in the finals, these are the things we will go to. But if you don't, you know, kind of fine-tune that throughout the regular season, I don't know how easy of a transition that is. So Golden State's now three and a half up. That was a monster win uh, standings-wise in terms of them being able to hold on to the number one seed. So they're three and a half up. And then you have uh, the Spurs are going to be the two seed and the Rockets are going to be the three seed. Like these things, uh, even with less than 10 games left to go in the season, these things are all but completely decided. The Jazz are at four right now. um, And then you have the Clippers who are a game and a half back. Oklahoma City's who's two and a half back. Uh, and the Grizzlies, who are two and a half back, and uh, of each other, I'm I'm saying respectively. Um, Utah's got, and and I know this is a team that you get to see the most. Utah's got uh, Washington tomorrow night. They got two with Portland. They got one with Minnesota. They got two with San Antonio, uh, both home and away. So they don't have an easy schedule uh, the rest of the way by any means. Washington's obviously been uh, great the last couple of months. Portland needs every game like blood. Minnesota's still out there fighting. And then obviously you got the San Antonio's, which I, I think if you look at their schedule, if you're Utah, you just pray that they're sitting everybody at the last game of the season, which would probably be to be expected, considering they'd be locked into their seed. That being said, do you think Utah holds on to the four seed? I do because I, I the majority, I mean, I think they have what? They have seven games left and four of them are at home. I think the they'll take. I think they have a great chance of taking that Portland game, and the Warriors may be resting on the second, you know, the second yeah. to last night of the season, and, and and I would expect the Spurs to be resting on the last night of the season. So I do think like what looks like a tough schedule probably isn't as tough. The key is if they can beat Washington at home on uh, Friday night, then I think that sets them up to kind of be a lo- not a lock for the four seed because anything could happen, and they and they're banged up, so you don't know how much of their regular guys are going to be in and out of the lineup. But, um, but I do think that puts them at a huge advantage to, to finish out pretty strong. And, and I don't, I mean, the Spurs may even rest people on Sunday, right? Like they may rest people in both of those games, kind of what you alluded to. So I think the, I think the jazz are fine in terms of the four seed. I think the tricky thing for them is would you rather play the Clippers or would you rather play the Thunder? And we know the Clippers are susceptible to being, you know, to cheddar bobbing themselves, as I like to say, you know, just shooting themselves, uh, anywhere on the body and kind of and kind of ruining their chances in the playoffs. We know that the the Thunder, if you can slow down Russ at all, then great. But the Jazz have actually had a problem slowing down Russ this year, and, and so maybe that's a worry. So I think trying to figure out, even if they're the four seed and they have that home court advantage, uh, you know what is the best matchup for them? That's kind of the scary thing for Utah. 
it's weird, right? Because you would immediately say, "Hey, listen, you got a lot of you got a veteran playoff team with three big stars in the Clippers, right? Versus this one man right. team in Oklahoma City." But it just so happens, matchup wise, a you're right. If you have a big problem stopping Russ, that becomes an immense problem. And the second thing is, Oklahoma City does have you know the big guys that can go and 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 fight it out with you. Down low, if you're throwing Adams out there, Cantor obviously would have a hard on for beating, uh, you know, uh, Utah because he's no because oh, of yeah. his form, former team. Um, but they got some guys that they could throw out there. You know, they they wouldn't get slaughtered by the the Utah front line and and especially Gobert. Right, and Russ seems to be like actively seeking out Gobert, which I don't know that that's a good strategy because Gobert is ridiculous, <laughs> but. But he seems to like. I think someone mentioned two games ago. Hey, are you? You know, do you change the like? It was something, some kind of like just really mundane question of like, do you change the way you attack with Gobert in the middle? And he was like, Russ seemed offended to the point of, I'm going to go dunk on this guy now. And he's tried to dunk on him a couple of times. I think he got fouled or you know lost the ball or whatever. But he seems almost more uh, motivated than normal, which is an insane level of motivation in the first place. To, to best go bear and show that he has he doesn't have to be scared of anybody in the middle of the floor and for whatever reason that is that's kind of you know galvanizing the team and 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 they seem you know Stephen Adams is is a big guy that can knock go bear off of, you know off of position for a lot of things and and you're right Ennis Cantor he hates Utah Utah hates him like that is a that is that would be kind of a fun little thing there um, to try to get them I think the key is you know can the Jazz just make shots. They're a very good three-point shooting team, and their role players are very good at shooting threes. And so, if they can make shots, I don't know that Utah or I don't know that Oklahoma City has the firepower to keep up outside of Russ because they're such a bad shooting team. But they also just kind of thrive off of offensive boards. And if they can, if they can battle Gobert inside, if they can battle Favors, considering he's still kind of playing on one leg, um, if you can make the Jazz go big and, and still beat them on the boards, then yeah, maybe that maybe that does give. Oklahoma City a little bit of an advantage just because of the rust factor. All right, so being honest, selfishly, obviously I do not want the Grizzlies to play the San Antonio Spurs again <laughs> uh, by any means. So when I'm I, I'm at the game last night, I'm watching uh, – I, I was at the Grizzlies-Pacers game last night, which, by the way, the Pacers all effed up. Like, getting to oh, see them – and, and you know true. this, you get a totally different sense of things uh, when you're at that arena – and, you know, sometimes when it goes to commercial or whatever, those are the moments where, like, I'm talking about where there's a break in the action and the teams are walking back to their bench, right? These guys can't yeah. stand each other. Like, and, and the last time I felt that way was last year's Houston team. You know, it was like they didn't give a shit. They just didn't even talk to each other. Nobody's calling out anything. And then when they would walk back to the, you know, because you can see how these teams communicate with each other. Um and last night, like, Jeff Teague was getting, like, thrown into a fire by Mike Conley. And he just didn't even – he ended up with four points. Monte Ellis ended up with two. Their starting backcourt had six combined. And, and what, Conley, the, Conley had, like, 30-something? Yeah, he had 36. And yeah. And they just like I, I, and then just watching them like walk back to their huddles, or whatever. You know, it's one thing to keep on seeing all these Paul George headlines. It's quite another to then witness that team in person, and there is just a massive disconnect with them. 
massive. And yeah. I don't I don't know yeah. why. Because they're not horrible players, right? It's one thing you see some of these teams, and they just got crap players. These are not crap players. They just cannot play together and, and clearly don't like each other. Yeah, I mean, that was, was kind of speaking like the – to champion your point about Houston last year, I remember uh, in Miami. I was there in Miami, third game of the year, um, and they and the Houston lost the first two games by twenty points each. And and Kevin McHale came out for his pregame, uh, you know, talk with the media, and he just already had this disconnected thousand yards stare, where you're like, oh, this guy's not lasting through the season. Like yeah. either he doesn't want to, or they're going to fire him. But it, like you could tell, third game, like something was wrong with that team. Uh, with Indiana. Uh, the other night, the, Paul George um, drops like what thirty-seven on the Timberwolves. He uh, they get down to a final possession. Timberwolves are up one with like three seconds left. Paul George gets it. Wiggins, you know, stops his initial move. Ricky Rubio comes over and helps. And Paul George, you know, kind of takes his time, throws the ball to Monte Ellis for the game winner, which Paul George took too much time. And Monte gets a shot off late. He missed it anyway, so it didn't matter. But he but they didn't even get they didn't even get a shot off in time. And after the game, Paul George is like, you know, we don't have a sense of urgency. We don't want to win right now. You know, he's making these comments. I'm thinking, you don't have a sense of urgency. You just, just, like, you just ruined the last possession by taking too much time. There was no urgency on your part. And so it does feel like almost hypocritical. Not that Paul George hasn't done a ton this season, because I do feel like he is, he is on this island in Indiana in terms of just talent and being able to get things done. And everyone else around him, they're talented players, but none of them seem to fit. So yeah. I get the frustration, and, and you hear the you hear the whispers and the rumors that like there is no chance he stays in Indiana after you know once his contract's up, um, and you know things can be wrong about that stuff. But it does it does seem like he will have one foot out the door pretty soon if he does not have it already. But it, it is just this weird like they just don't seem to know what they want. They want to acquire talent, which yeah, good job. That's what you need to do. But they don't seem to know. You know, Larry Bird seems to be having a hard time like putting it together because. You know, you say, hey, we want Paul George to be the small ball four and, you know, we want to run up and down the floor and, and get, the, you know, really start matching the, the basketball today. And then Paul George is like, well, I don't really want to do that. Like, I don't want to be a four. I so, kind of felt like them signing – I kind of felt like them signing Lance Stevenson yesterday was a, a flip of the bird to Paul George. <laughs> Didn't it, he like, it probably it, was. Like, you know what I mean? Like, hey, you want to keep on popping off in the locker room every night? All right, fine. We're bringing in your old buddy Lance who you couldn't stand. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, like, I mean, they had those problems in that last year with that group, right, where, you know, everything kind of fell apart in terms of, like, yeah. chemistry in the locker room. There were There were real issues in that locker room the second half of the season and and they went from a team that was challenging Miami to a team that just yeah was just kind of not a joke but just like kind of a joke in terms of thinking of them as a contender and they've switched things around and they tried to play faster and then they hired Nate McMillan never coached a fast team in his career and you throw Thaddeus Young in there you throw Al Jefferson in there and those are all you know quality players but they don't really fit with what they were supposed to do and they don't fit defensively with what they you know, they wanted, you know, what they want to do now. And I just, I don't know what the direction is. At a certain point, you think, you got to think, like, just blow it up. Yeah. Just trade Paul. Like, the ransom the ransom you can get for Paul George this summer, I, even with him becoming a free agent the next year, you would be stupid as a, as a GM not to want to try to acquire Paul George and have the advantage of paying him more money, right? Like, I get the threat of him going to L.A. and being a Laker next. But at the same time, like, that's Paul George. Like, you should be able to to give up a, a pretty good bounty for him and, and still be a competitive team. 
Yeah. Uh, one of my buddies knows C.J. Miles and was talking to him after the game, and Miles was just like, dude, we're yeah, I just totally despondent. Like, they just – like, we just quit. They, we, we, quit. To, we quit. Yeah. We quit. You know what I mean? When like they tried to have Paul George be the small ball four and he didn't want to do it, they had C.J. Miles guarding power forward. No, no, that's, no. Like, that was their answer. Like, they just don't, they just don't have it. Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, so, anyways, I'm sitting there at the game, and this is the life of a fan, right? So you're sitting there at the game, and now you're you're in standings watching. And I started off by saying, "Don't want the Grizzlies to play the Spurs." So now I'm checking, I'm going through my phone, right? And it's like Orlando's up by 20. I'm like, "Hell yeah!" Orlando's up by 15. Hell yeah! Orlando's up by 10. All right, cool. Last time I checked, it, Orlando's up by four with 20 seconds left. I'm like, "Dude, just hang on." And then all of a sudden down on media row, everybody's like, dude, Westbrook. And I was like, what? (laughs) And I go and check and I see that three. And I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? (laughs) Like, what? This guy, 57 points and Orlando had a chance to knock him off, right, last night um, and and didn't. And the guy has like, like even, like even on these, like a game like that, it's a, Wednesday night in Orlando, he's just absolutely laying waste to everyone. And even when it looks like they're down by 20 or down by 15 and maybe they just don't have it that night, he just he takes over the entire game, takes over a fourth quarter and, and wins again. And so I look at their schedule the rest of the way, Zach, and I say, all right, they got San Antonio, then they got Charlotte, Milwaukee, at Memphis, at Phoenix, at Denver, at Minnesota, and Denver. Right, so it's not exactly a murderer's row to finish off their season. And I just I sit back and wonder, like, is this going to run out? Like, is he really just going to be able to do this where they play with fire, where they're they're screwing around and they could lose a game to Orlando, but then in the end, he can just take over and and win them a game again, like. I don't know. It it like it seems a little late to think he can't keep doing it. You know, with the, with the whatever yeah, I, like I really eight games left. Yeah, yeah. No, eight games left. Now he's gonna fall off, right? Like now, right. now the energy runs out and the motivation is gone. Um, yeah, he like he's just ridiculous. And yeah, you can say, oh, it's just high volume stuff and high usage stuff. And he's you know he's hogging all the possessions. Whatever. Fifty seven, thirteen, and eleven last night. Like and and shot pretty well and shot well from three and got to the free throw like. Well, go pull their record. I mean, I can't, I can't, I can't speak. I, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be a little off here. Uh, so don't, uh, don't, please, don't. Everybody tweet me and be like, the, the actual record is. I know it's, a, it's something like high twenties wins, like a twenty eight or twenty nine and seven when he has a triple double. So enough already with right. the whole he's chasing stats. Look at their damn record when he has a triple double. Like it ain't like he's. He's just getting triple-doubles in losses. He's getting triple-doubles, and their winning percentage is crazy when he does it. Right. Okay. Well, even say, like, oh, well, he's stealing these rebounds on missed free throws, and it's getting him an extra two rebounds a game. Okay, so without that, he's 31-10-7, and or 31-10-8, instead of 31-10-10. Okay, like, what are we doing here? Like, what, you know, what, what is the... What is the like? What's the thing we're trying to accomplish here? He's oh, that, so yeah, that's in, bogus. I mean, everybody that has yeah. a lot of rebounds gets a couple off of free throws and whatever. It ain't like everybody that averages double digit rebounds gets ten in traffic. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, I think I think most guys that are at the top of the league are getting like eight or nine uncontested rebounds a game. Like yeah. I think that's what the sport the sport view numbers show or something like that. And I don't know how how accurate those are in terms of measuring it, but it 
seems to be something a lot of people are going off of. Uh, but you look at last night, like I honestly wonder if, if last night he was like, man, James Harden does have a lot of momentum with this MVP race right now. What can I do? Well, what if I get down by a bunch to Orlando? I'm going to turn the ball <laughs> over. Like he, he turned the ball over seven times in the first half. After his final turnover, he went like, I think someone tweeted me, he went like 44-9-7 and seven after his, his seventh tur- turnover. And just the rest of the game just destroyed. Like, he went 44-9-7 and seven after seven turnovers in the game. Like, that's ridiculous. That There is, like, any way you try to cut up this season by Westbrook, and you can still say, I mean, I still kind of have Harden as the flight leader for me with the MVP right now, but if you want to say Westbrook's MVP, great. If you think it's Harden, fine. I like. I think both of those are acceptable answers. All right, let me pause. Slice up this Westbrook season. They're ridiculous. Let me pause on that real quick. I'm going to ask you another question about that MVP race and also another awards race that is going on that a lot of people aren't talking about. But first, these words. Ringer NBA show is brought to you in part by T-Mobile. It can be hard to balance baseball in real life. Catching your team's games is hard enough, let alone keeping up with the rest of the league on top of all your other commitments. Only T-Mobile is giving you a free year of MLB TV premium so you can keep up with the games no matter where you are. And with T-Mobile One, you get unlimited data to fuel your baseball habit. If you like Major League Baseball, I cannot wait for the season to start uh, coming up on Sunday night with the Cardinals and the Cubs. But if you love baseball, you need T-Mobile because they're giving away a free year of MLB TV Premium. That's a $113 value, absolutely free, and only for T-Mobile customers. With T-Mobile One, unlimited data means unlimited baseball. Sound good? Here's how you get it. Get T-Mobile. Download the T-Mobile Tuesdays app. On April 4th, you get your free year of MLB TV Premium in the T-Mobile Tuesdays app. Get out-of-market games, stats, highlights, and more Remember, April 4th, get your free year of MLB TV Premium with T-Mobile. Ringer NBA Show also brought to you by Cabbage. If you're wondering how to get funding needed to run a small business today, Cabbage has the answer. Cabbage helps small business owners access simple and flexible funding right away without the headaches that come with applying for a traditional loan. Apply online from your phone by securely linking your business information to get an automatic decision. There's no waiting in line, scanning documents, or tracking down financial statements. Cabbage gives you flexibility to decide what's best for your business. Once you're approved, you choose when to use your funds and how much you'll take. You pay only for the funds you actually use. Cabbage has supported over 100,000 small businesses with $2.9 billion in funding. Visit cabbage.com, that's cabbage with a K, slash ringer. There's no cost to apply or to set up your line of credit. As an NBA show listener, when you qualify for your funding, you'll get a $100 Visa gift card you can use anywhere. That's cabbage with a K, K-A-B-B-A-G-E dot com slash ringer. All right, Zach, we were just talking about the MVP, and you were talking about Harden and Westbrook. Harden, uh, when he was talking about the MVP, said 82 games matters. What say you? Is James Harden right that you should get extra credit if you play all 82 games, which is going to be uh, presumably what both he and Westbrook do? Yeah, I think think that doing it for 82 rather than 74, especially when – you're leading to a team to, you know, 50, 60 wins, whatever it's going to be. 
Yeah, I think that matters. I mean, I think that it's a it's a it's an award for the longevity of the season and excellence within the season, right? And the value you add to your team or the value you add to the league, or I don't know how we're defining value at this point. But yeah, if you if you're able to do an 82 games rather than sitting out a few here and there, yeah, that should absolutely matter. All right, uh, another award that has not become. Uh, some kind of massive debate because every day and every game has become a referendum on the MVP race. So if Kawhi does something great, it's the Kawhi think piece. And the same goes with Westbrook and the same goes with Harden. Every day the MVP discussion uh, has, you know, it's been great, right? And it's certainly been on the on, on the front burner uh, for the last two months. What has not is who is going to be coach of the year, which might be an even greater race um, and surely somebody's going to write the big piece about this. But I would say this has been a great year for NBA coaching. A, nobody's going to get fired for the first time in, like, decades. Um, so making it through a season without somebody getting fired is as rare as it could possibly be. Um, Steve Kerr went out of his way, and he said Mike D'Antoni should win the coach of the year. That was a big headline everywhere. But you also, not only do you have D'Antoni and the job that he's done in Houston, you have Eric Spolstra, whose team was 11-30 and and is now in the position they are in. You have Quinn Snyder, who's going to take the Jazz to the playoffs for the first time since 2012. You have Scott Brooks, who at the beginning of the season, people are going, did they get the right guy? Why is this team struggling so much? And they've turned into this uh, devastating Eastern Conference team that nobody wants to play. Um and and I I might be leaving a couple guys off right that have done outstanding jobs, but it seems like this year, I don't think uh, and, and, and again I haven't even mentioned Kerr, I haven't mentioned Popovich. Those are the guys that coach the top two seeds. Um, it seems like this year, though everybody's arguing back and forth, Harden, Westbrook, or Kawhi, or LeBron, or whoever you like in the MVP, I I might have a harder time picking or feeling great about who I choose for Coach of the Year this year. How about you? Yeah, yeah, and and let's throw these two in there to avoid the tweets back at you. Uh, Brad Stevens, yep, challenging sure. for the number one seed in in the East, and and I honestly think Jason Kidd should deserve consideration, considering how like they hit Miss Middleton for most of the season, and and they lost Jabari Parker, at, you know, for for much of the season, and they still like have kind of rallied, and it, not as extreme as the as the heat with Spolstra, but have rallied from a position of, oh, no, this probably isn't going to work out this year to being, you know, the sixth seed in the East and maybe higher. They might be the five seed by, by you know, the end of the season. Yeah, all right, so, so fine. Hey, hey, consideration hey too. and you can keep on There's rattling like nine guys. <laughs> you can, no, no, you can keep on rattling guys off. In fact, the only ones I won't hear a case for are Hoiberg and Earl Watson. <laughs> Right, yeah, no, they're out. They're completely and Nate out. McMillan. Like, and, just, and Nate I even McMillan. I give Luke Walton a vote just because I feel bad for him, right? Like, just, <laughs> just that Laker situation sucks. So I want to, you know, give Luke Walton, like, a third-place vote just to be nice. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I think I was kind of on this D'Antoni thing all season of, like, you know, he's the coach of the year, and then Quinn Snyder was up there for me because, you know, probably because I get to see him so much and see what he does and up close and talk to him. Um, but, yeah. I don't know – at this point, I don't know how Eric Spolster doesn't finish top two. Like, that team, even even with this run, like, that team's not that good. Hassan Whiteside, your best player, and or Goran Dragic is your best player, and Hassan Whiteside's number two. Oh, my God. Please, and, please, God, please, God, do not let Dion Waiters listen to this podcast. Oh, no, I'm, that is strictly – 
trying to get Deion Waiters to heal his ankle by some magic powers just to come back and prove, like, no, I'm the best player not only on this team but in this league. But that, that team isn't very good. They're not very talented. But they just come at you with this unrelenting just wave of, of effort. Like, they never stop attacking. They never stop defending. They never stop swarming. And, and to go from 11-30 and 30 in the first half of the season to now probably making the playoffs and maybe even being the seventh seed, and, yeah, part of that is because the back end of the East sucks, right? But whatever, like, the turnaround they've had in season, I don't know that I've seen a better coaching job this season. Now, I think it's been as good as D'Antoni, as good as Quinn Snyder, as good as the other 13 guys we mentioned. But Bolstra has done so much with this, this team that shouldn't really do anything that we were wondering two months ago, should this team tank out? Like, this, like to, to have that kind of turnaround, it just feels like Spo is underappreciated still. Well, and the other thing that's crazy about that is if you go back in time, like Riley went on the radio in the fall when when things were all going to hell and basically said, you know, hey, our fans are going to have to be a little patient here, but, you know, brighter days are ahead. Like almost conceding, like, hey, we suck, I know we suck, and but, you know, we're things are going to be okay. Just give us give us a couple of years, you know? I, I think it was like almost this resigned to, okay, this season ain't going to go that well. And getting a team that was 11-30, and 30, and it's not like they radically changed the roster, getting a team that was 11-30 and 30 to become a team that wins like all the time, that is, that's insane. Because you just get so yeah, used, you get so used to losing, and you just be- become resigned to the fact that you suck, and they just never did. Yeah, and you end up with guys who just start going for their own numbers, right? Yep. Like it's not just the fact that oh we can't win games; it becomes well, if we're going to be bad, I'm going to get mine, and mm-hmm. I'm going to you know I'm going to go into the summer and and get a lucrative contract because of it or whatever. And it just never got to that point. And, and to do that with this group of players, and like they lost Justice Winslow, and I don't know how good Justice Winslow is, but that was a guy they wanted as a, a you know, a core part of their team, even this season to kind of develop him. They lose a guy like him, like they turn James Johnson probably into the sixth man of the year, or one, you know, uh, just an incredibly valuable role player. They they've done all of these things. They brought like I couldn't have I couldn't have picked out a, a Rodney Magruder out of a lineup with just him and my friends. Like I wouldn't have been able to do that. Before oh God! Hey, hey, listen, let me let me take you. Let me give you a little timeout. Oh, uh, are, are we going into Rashawn Holmes territory? Don't here? don't. I'm saying don't don't tell you that you don't recognize somebody. That's what got me in all this trouble. That was the actual <laughs> oh, line. Rashawn Holmes. The actual line Rashawn was Rashawn Holmes. The actual line that I first said to Kevin O'Connor was that Rashawn Holmes could walk in the studio right now and I wouldn't know who that was, and. It became like, you don't follow the NBA. How the hell could you not know who? This is, by the way, at the beginning. Hey, by the way, this is at, uh, this might have been preseason or it was at the very beginning of the season. And I was like, forgive me for being unaware of a guy that took 200 shots total on a team that won like 13 games or whatever the hell they won last year. Like, it was. Career hunt. Career high last night. He's, I know. He's, he's arrived. No, he's the best player in the league. <laughs> According to my Twitter feed, I hear more about Rashawn Holmes than I do about any player in the NBA. Trust me. Uh, so, yeah, so be yeah, careful. At the risk of Rodney Magruder. I'm telling you, if you just turned Rodney Magruder into a damn all star, every 
thing that Rod I hope that everybody that listens to this podcast, every damn thing that Rodney Magruder does gets tweeted to you because that's my life with Rashawn Holmes. <laughs> I want 4% of that next contract then. If that's what happens, I think you get 4% of, of Rashawn Holmes' next contract too. <laughs> Which actually is going to be for a lot, of, so it seems, because the guy's unbelievable. Oh, he's a max player now, right? I mean, yep. he's going to be at the top of the league. All right, so how much do we brace ourselves for the – the Brian Windhorst expose, the Dave McMillan exclusive with LeBron where he shits on everybody if they lose to the TNT Bulls tonight. Well, I mean, the TNT Bulls are a, a force all into their own. Like, I, I just, know. That team, that team is a mess. And yet, you throw them on a Thursday night on TNT, and all of a sudden, they're the Warriors team. Uh, it's it's, it's see, unbelievable. Uh, let, me, but, let me see what the line is on that thing. Hold on. Surely, uh, oh, what do you th- I'll, I'll, hold on? I'm gonna look this up. You think Cleveland's fa- Cleveland's favored, but they uh, uh, at, at some point the TNT Bulls got to command respect. Um, minus five and a half. Yeah, like, I was gonna say three and a half. So minus five and a half. I'll take the TNT Bulls plus five and a half. <laughs> I don't think they're any. I don't think they're any good, but I, I'll take it. I, I'll go with the trend. I'll put it, my money on. Uh, on Nikola Mirotic and Rajon Rondo going off, I'm, they, I'm happy to do that. They don't lose on TNT. It's, it, it is what it is. It's unreal. I mean, if the Cavs are going to right the ship, and especially defensively, which has been just a mess lately, you got to do it against the TNT Bulls. That's the galvanizing point in their, in their season where they go, all right, we're not going to take it anymore. We're the we're the the favorite who's also an underdog tonight. Like we've got to rally around everyone and play championship basketball. And I think that's. That's the the tipping point in the Cavs season that sends them back into title defense mode. It would be somewhat more impressive than beating the Spurs. It would. I would <laughs> if you take down the TNT Bulls. In my mind, you've won the championship. I don't know how else you. you I don't know how you get any other praise other than that. Give Ty Lue Coach of the Year. Give LeBron uh, MVP. Give Case Felder Rookie of the Year. Like they get all the awards. You take down the TNT Bulls. This is a streak that goes back like four seasons. Four seasons, and it's it's. To, what was it was what was the last one? The Warriors was it the Warriors? I feel I like think that, so. Yeah, they I, took down the Warriors. Yeah. yeah, I feel like that's what it was. Like they weren't any good, but then they played on TNT, and it was against the Warriors, and it, uh, and that that was the that was the win. It was ninety four to eighty seven on March second. It appears that was the They're, game. They're so bad that people are wondering why campaign, Cameron Payne is in the D-League. That's how bad they're like, well, why isn't he up playing minutes? Like, that's how bad this team is. And yet, I feel like they're a lock to win tonight. It was the Bobby Portis show the last time they played. Oh, that was the Warriors. Yeah, it'll be, and, 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 to, and tonight it'll be Cristiano Felicio or, you know, what, or I don't know, Bill Winnington's going to come out of radio and, and drop 30. Or like, well, something's going to happen that just doesn't make any sense. Well, the one thing that they didn't have an answer for, for sure, the Warriors, when they played against the Bulls, was the uh, big minutes from Paul Zipser off the bench. Oh, that Paul Zipser hive. You think the Rashawn Holmes hive is is aggressive. Just don't say anything bad about Paul Zipser. Oh, really? Oh, there's Twitter that is all Paul Zipser all the time. Wow, I had no idea. I I was unaware of the subculture surrounding Paul Zipser. 
<laughs> Can't wait to watch uh, the TNT Bulls, though, tonight. And then uh, the inevitable, holy, uh, something is very, very wrong. Uh, as if as if we haven't gotten enough with what the hell's wrong with the Cavs. This could be this could be a massive one, considering it's going to be on a Thursday night on national television, and the Bulls stink, right? So it's one thing and to the lose, Bulls, yeah, and the Bulls stink, right? It's one thing to lose to San Antonio, and they don't even have Dwayne Wade anymore on their team, right? So, right, no, not, that's as good. I mean, Jerry and Grant's going to go for thirty-five or something, you know. <laughs> I can't wait to watch it. Uh, you can follow Zach Harper on Twitter at Talk Hoop. Zach, you're the man. Thanks, brother. Anytime, thank you. It's going to do it for another Ringer NBA show. If you dig it, go give us a rating and review on iTunes, and we will talk to you tomorrow. Anything is possible. Thanks to Cabbage for sponsoring today's episode. Cabbage created a simple way for businesses to get flexible access to up to $100,000. Visit cabbage.com slash ringer and you'll get a $100 Visa gift card when you qualify. That's cabbage.com, K-A-B-B-A-G-E dot com slash ringer.